So my name is uh, Mike Mariner, one of the pastors. Today is Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, we uh, recognize, celebrate, and submit to the fact that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And why is that good news? Because for many governments and for many individuals, uh, the fact that Jesus is high king feels threatening. But we celebrate it. His kingship is good. Why? Because his kingdom is good. And to be a part of Christ's kingdom is a tremendous blessing. And it is a kingdom without end. And so when you enter into that kingdom, you benefit from the good reign of our loving God for eternity. So Jesus, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and what a privilege it is to be in your kingdom. And if you're not a Christian and not yet in Christ's kingdom and not yet experiencing the benefits of his reign, boy, I encourage you to seriously consider his claim upon your life even today. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read the story of the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, one of those few stories that all four gospel writers include, which means it's significant. And this is the first time in any gospels where Jesus is referred to as king. And so throughout his ministry, almost his entire ministry, he's kept the, um, the fact that he is the king, a kind of, uh, a, that's a subdued theme. And now he brings it out and he's revealing uh, something new and true and significant about himself. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Uh, this is one week before Jesus died. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, and, and there, it's only you know, a mile, two miles maybe from Jerusalem, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying this colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now Jesus orchestrates this pageantry. Jesus has decided 
Now is the time to reveal the fact that I am king. And so he uh, sets up this uh, triumphal entry. He's very intentional. Go get this colt, an unridden colt, and um, he's in charge of it. He choreographs this thing in order to um, reveal who he really is as king. And so I want to just really quickly point out six ways the triumphal story uh, points to Jesus' kingship. Number one is the fact that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on an unridden colt, which the, uh, the Israelites of his day would have recognized was a, a symbol of messianic kingship. In Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, an Old Testament prophet uh, prophesying about the coming Messiah, we read this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut out off from the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so uh, the Jews in Jesus' day uh, would have understood this to be a a prophecy about the Messiah. Uh, Secondly, the triumphal story... Uh, points to Christ's kingship in the fact that the disciples throw their cloaks at Jesus' feet and they put their cloaks on, on the uh, donkey. And um, if you go in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings, at the coronation of Jehu, king of Israel, uh, that's exactly what they did. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, um, right after Jehu has announced that one of God's prophets has anointed him the new king of Israel. Uh, Then the people around uh, Jehu, it says, Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. And so uh, this was this act of taking off your outer garment and putting it down on the ground so uh, Jesus could ride the donkey over was clearly an act uh, symbolizing that they acknowledged him as king. And it's interesting, in the Jehu, God was, had removed the kingdom from Ahab because Ahab was unworthy and wicked and had given it to Jehu. And in the same way, the kingdom was being taken away from the re- religious leaders of the day and given to the worthy king, Jesus Christ. Third way, the triumphal story, uh, entry story points to Christ's kingship is the fact that palm branches were waved. Did anybody have a palm branch? We had some coming in. Wave them around, wave them around. Yes, they were probably a little bit more impressive than these things, but uh, I need some palm branches. Give me a palm branch. Got to have props. I should have thought of a prop here. Here we go. Oh, it's so impressive. Okay, there we go. They were probably bigger palm branches. But uh, palm fronds were symbols of the nation of Israel and had been since the time of the Maccabees in which the Maccabees used palm fronds to uh, clean out the temple after it had been desecrated um, by the Gentiles, okay? And so this was, palm fronds were stamped on some of uh, the, the Jews' uh, money and other things. 
And so for them to intentionally, in fact, in John we read, because it's not here in, in uh, Luke, but in John we read John 12, 13. Um, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so they were very intentional about getting palm branches. Uh, fourth way the, this story points to Jesus' kingship is the fact that he's called king uh, by his disciples who yell out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that uh, comes directly out of Psalm 118, another messianic psalm. In Psalm 118, verse 26, we read, 118, there it is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Fifth way the triumphal entry story points to Christ's being king is the fact that the Pharisees are scandalized. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees recognize uh, the, the significance of what Jesus' disciples are doing. They're scandalized because they don't accept Christ as the Messiah, and they're trying to get him to uh, tamp it down, stop them. And then finally... The final way the triumphal story points to Christ being king is that Jesus uh, claims that this is a significant moment. To the disciples, or to the Pharisees, Jesus replies, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And that's Jesus saying, no, uh, this is the time that I have chosen to reveal uh, another aspect of who I really am. And, and that's going to happen. And if the disciples aren't going to help in that, even the very stones will. So Christ is king. That's what we celebrate today. And he's not just king of the Jews. He's not just king of the Jews. He is king of all peoples. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And John the apostle in the final book of the Bible, received a vision from God about the future. And in it, he gives us a, a beautiful picture of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when he returns a second time to establish his rule in power. And so I read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. These are, this is a description of Jesus. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Amen. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Whose blood? His blood shed for us on the cross. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
The first time Jesus came, he came in peace. And he came purposely to go to the cross and lay his life down so that we might be forgiven of our sins, reconciled to God, and enter into the kingdom of the king. The second time he comes, he comes in judgment. He comes to tread the winepress of God's fury. Oh, you don't want to be under those stamping feet of judgment. He comes to rule with a rod of iron. He comes to wage war against his enemies. And so one of the themes of today has to be make peace with the king in a time of peace. Because between now and when you die or between now and when Jesus Christ returns, uh, we have an opportunity to bow the knee to Jesus and say, I surrender to you, king. I receive you as my king. I pledge my allegiance to you. I will live for you. And if we do that now in the time of peace, when Christ returns, it is the coming of our kingdom, right? It's a time of victory, a time of celebration. On the other hand, if you maintain a, a rebellious spirit, a defiance, uh, even just in an ignoring of Christ's claim upon your life, when he returns again, uh, it's going to be a terrible day. And so make peace with the king now in a time of peace. For the rest of our time, I want to focus in on one phrase from this story. And it's the phrase, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Uh, I think that this phrase uh, has a number of impl implications and I want to highlight four today. So this, is, this comes from uh, when Jesus tells his disciples... Go to the village in front of us. You're going to find a, a donkey there in this particular place. It's never been written, ridden, and I want you to get it for me. And if somebody asks you, what are you doing stealing this donkey? You say, he's very specific, you shall say this. The Lord has need of it. The first implication is, I, I believe that this phrase is Jesus asserting his rightful claim to everything on the planet. That's all you need to say because I am the king of kings and lord of lords. And if I want that donkey, I have the right to take that donkey. The Lord has need of it. Jesus Christ has rightful claim to everything I am and all that I have. He has rightful claim because he is my creator. Jesus created the world. And so as my creator, he has rightful claim. He has rightful claim because he's more powerful than I am and he can take it if he wants it. But you know what? He also has rightful claim because he laid his life down for me and for you. We have been bought with a price, the Bible says. We're not our own. Christ has purchased us by his own death. And so when, when you hear Christ asserting, I have claim to you. Does, does your heart resist that or do you welcome that? Because it is the flesh that resists that. It is a, the sin nature that resists that. It's our independent spirit that is a result of uh, sin that resists that. 
Second implication of this phrase, the Lord has need of it. Well, it is a call for obedience. The Lord has need of it calls out an obedient response. And I love the way the owners of the cult responded. So you can imagine you're, you're hanging out, and then you see these two guys, and you're like, what are they doing? And they walk into your yard, and they start untying your colt, and they start walking away. What are you, what are you doing? That's not yours. <laughs> and what do the disciples say? The Lord, the Lord has need of it. And that's all we know. Apparently, they said, okay, <laughs> right? They have this obedient response. I love that. The Lord has need of it? All right. And James is, uh, I'm sorry, Luke is clear. They own the cult. They are the owners. Of course, we know that uh, we don't own anything, do we? God owns everything. And then he entrusts to us some of what he owns. And so we're, we are stewards. And then the proper attitude is to say, um, thank you, God, for entrusting all this to me, and uh, let me know if you ever have any of it, right? Of course, we then have to be listening so that we can hear God say, hey, I have need of that. I want to use it for my glory. I want to use it for my purposes. Third implication of the Lord has need of it. It, it just uh, it reminds us of the fact that we have a lot of opportunities to serve the Lord. The Lord does have need of it. Now, he, in, in one sense, he doesn't, right? God can do anything he wants to do. And God doesn't need us. He can accomplish his mission on earth uh, without us. Yet he chooses to work through us. So he chooses to need our donkeys, right, to further his purposes. And it's a great privilege. And there are, there are just limitless Ways that you and I can serve Christ. Limitless ways that we can participate in his gospel mission. Getting out the good news that uh, in Christ Jesus we can be reconciled to God. Our sins can be forgiven and we can have life everlasting. And so, uh, even right here at Clearwater Church, and by no means is this the only place you can serve Christ. You can serve Christ in many places. But right here we've got people... Serving the Lord uh, on the worship team with their uh, musical talents. Uh, we had people came early and set up, and people who stay late and tear down. We have greeters and ushers. We have people who prepare coffee and snacks. We have uh, right now we have people serving our children back in the children's ministries. Um, during the week we have journey group leaders. We have people serving our students, uh, and on and on it goes. And as I've said before, and I really mean this. Um, if I, I ask that you would be praying to the Lord to give you a vision for how he might want to use you. Or maybe he, through you, will help us as a church see ways that we can serve our community. And just raise your hand and say, you know what, I'll take a stab at leading that. And we can get behind you. And we can, sometimes we can fund it, sometimes we can give it uh, uh, kind of advertising, right? Uh, so anyways, there are just unbelievable uh, ways that we can serve the Lord and be a part of his good kingdom. The Lord does have need of it. And then finally, th this phrase, the Lord has need of it, 
Uh, it elevates the value of what we give in service to Jesus. This unwritten, unridden colt, I'm sure it, the family, the owners didn't think much about it, right? It's just a donkey. And in fact, nobody's even ridden on it. It's just not significant until the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords rides on it into Jerusalem. And all of a sudden it becomes, that's the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And all of a sudden it becomes significant. And the, the fact of the matter is, we have a bunch of time, and we have a bunch of energy, and we have a bunch of talents, and we have a bunch of treasures, uh, and we're spending them. And I tell you, every, every minute that we spend on, uh, serving Christ, every dollar we spend serving Christ, every amount of energy we spend serving Christ, it becomes the most significant of the day. That's the reality. That's, that's the stuff that will uh, be notable and talked about and shine for all eternity. So the, God gives us an opportunity to redeem all that he has given us for his glory and purposes. So I want to tell you a story. I want to end with a story about some, some folks who, um, not they're donkeys, but metaphorical donkeys, they... Uh, they let the Lord use their donkeys, and super cool things happen. So you've heard of the Jesus film, right? How many of you watched the Jesus film, the one that was produced in 1979? Okay, so it's a little bit older now, but this is the, by far and away, the most watched movie ever in, in, of any movie. Produced in 1979, uh, it has been translated into over 1,600 different languages. It has been seen by well over 5 billion people. 5 billion people. And it has resulted in 530 conversions to Christ. So there is an organization called the Gospel Project that takes this movie out into uh, all places all around the world, shows, uh, shows this movie, and then people, you know, 530 million people afterwards have said, I want to follow Christ. What did I say? You were not the million? You needed the million? Yeah, and you're a hard audience. Okay. 530 million. Like 530 million people. That's like a, yeah, yeah, okay. 530 is still important. Wow. Maybe I should look at my little notes here. So uh, I want to highlight um, the contribution four people made to this film. And the first person is a guy named John Heyman. And John Heyman was a British TV movie producer, a man of faith who had a, a vision to take the entire Bible and make it into a movie. He just couldn't find anybody to fund it. And so he crossed the pond and he talked to Bill Bright, who at that time was the, uh, the leader of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, and a uh, pretty large evangelical organization. And so John came to, and, and shared the vision and said, will you help me find funding for this movie? And Bill Bright said, well, I will for the portion about Jesus. Let's make a, a film about Jesus and uh, I'll help you find money for that. There was another guy by the name of Paul 
uh, Eshelman, and he was a crew uh, leader, and he got really excited about this, uh, the possibilities. He saw what this could do. And so, and, and he had some talent in screenwriting, and so he helped John write the, the, the screen uh, script for this thing. And they sent it to a whole bunch of movie studios trying to get somebody to pick it up, and nobody would. And they just kept hitting um, dead end after dead end, and they were getting discouraged. Well, uh, Crew was having a conference on world evangelism, and they knew that there would be some people there who were interested in funding world evangelism. And so they said, Let's, we'll put on a seminar. And the seminar will be titled, How a Film on the Life of Christ Could Be Used to Help Reach the World. And uh, they were disappointed because there weren't that many people who showed up to their uh, seminar at this conference. But they prayed, and they said, well... You know, we're just trusting the Lord. We, we feel like this could be powerful. So they prayed. Well, back in the corner uh, was this uh, um, unassuming couple, couple, Bunker and Caroline Hunt. And John shared his testimony, shared about the vision he felt God had given him. And uh, Bunker and Caroline Hunt were, were moved. And at the end, uh, Bunker leaned over to Caroline and said, what do you think if we underwrote this movie? She said, I think that's a great idea. So they wrote a $3.5 million check and got the thing going. Ended up costing $6 million. But at the end of his life, Bunker Hunt said, uh, and he was quite a mover and shaker, and at the end of his life he said, that was by far and away the best investment I ever made, right? Uh, it elevated. He had a lot of money, used it in many different ways, but the investment he made uh, on behalf of Christ's kingdom, on behalf of the gospel. Here he is at the end of the life saying, that's the one that counts the most. You have something that God needs uh, to move his uh, kingdom forward here on earth. And you might not think it's significant. You might just say, it's a, just a little donkey. Nobody's even ridden on it. And yet it can be used and it can be significant. We all have time. We all have talents. We all have treasure. We all have relationships that can be leveraged for God's glory and his service. But we have to respond to his, uh, his request for it. Will we do that? Please pray. Jesus Christ, right now every one of us, in our own minds and hearts, bows the knee before you. And uh, we acknowledge you to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, we receive as not only uh, unavoidable, but we receive as good for us your claim upon our lives. In fact, we, we make an offering we submit ourselves to you and we say, here I am, all that I am and all that I have, Jesus Christ, I lay it at your feet, just like the disciples laid their garments before you. We lay our lives before you. You may use me however you need. Lord, privilege us by giving us very concrete ways to serve uh, your kingdom and the gospel expanse in the world.
because we know that in that is life to the full and is great joy. And then Jesus the King. I find my heart praying more and more, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I long for the, the peace that will come when you ride in on your mighty white horse and you repair the brokenness and you tamp down unrighteousness, you eradicate it and take away uh, sin and its ravages out of our world and out of our lives. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to your kingdom coming in its fullness. And in your name we pray, amen. Jesus, let your kingdom come here. Let your will be done here in us. Jesus, there is no one greater. You alone are Savior. Show the world your love. King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come let your glory reign shining like the day king of heaven come king of heaven rise up who can stand against us you are strong to save in your mighty name king of heaven come Children of your mercy, rescued for your glory, we cry, Jesus, set our hearts towards you, that every eye would see you, lifted high, King of heaven, come. Let your glory reign, shining like the day, King of heaven, come. King of heaven, rise up. Who can stand against us? No one can. You are strong to save in your mighty name, King of heaven, come. King of heaven, rise up, you can stand against us. 
You are strong to save in your mighty name. King of heaven, come. King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come now. Let your glory reign, shining like the day. King of heaven, come. Oh, oh. King of heaven, rise up. Who can stand against us? You are strong to save in your mighty name. King of heaven, come. King of heaven, come.